How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you could you could be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us. And that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com. Your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, folks, this is episode 39 of Chasing Giants, uh, brought to you by BuyFarm.com. Don Higgins is on the line. We are a special edition tonight. It's only been two nights since episode um, 38, but we're doing a special edition tonight to to uh, congratulate Don and hear the story about the next giant that he shot this morning. Don, congratulations, buddy. <laughs> Well, thank you, Terry. Sometimes uh, I got to pinch myself to just make sure this is real and I'm not dreaming. Yep. So there hasn't even been posted pictures of this at the time of the recording. Um, when you texted me from the stand this morning and then showed texted me a picture of him laying on the ground, um, I'll be honest with you. I don't know why I keep doubting you. Um, I don't know why it's a surprise anymore. But the story behind this buck, uh, I I personally did not think he was killable. Um, just ginormous buck. Um, we're going to post that picture tonight and hopefully uh, have everybody listen to the podcast of the story because it's just too much to type, right? Yeah. Um, it would have taken me, you know, the rest of the evening just to type the story and I'd have probably left some stuff out and it's just a whole lot easier to tell it than it is to type it out. So, right. so, um, so just, just so everyone knows, um, this is, this is a special edition of the podcast. We, we, th- we're throwing this together. I, I probably, I don't even know all the details in this. So I'm going to hear a lot of this for the first time. We don't have a buy a farm segment. We don't have listeners submitted questions. This is to tell the story of this buck. And, uh, what's this buck's name, Don? Well, I call him the Joey Buck. Okay. So, there's a little bit of a story behind that that we'll get into. But right, uh, well, I'm going to start. I'm going to start the podcast by referring to a blog that you wrote on HigginsOutdoors.com on September 7th of 2020, and the title of the blog on your website was the 2020 Velvet Buck Review. And in this blog, you showcased six bucks that were either targets or up-and-comers that you were watching and gave a little bit of history about it. And for the people that want to go and look at this, there's trail camera pictures of this specific buck. Uh, he was actually called buck number three. You didn't, you didn't call them by name on the, uh, on the blog. Uh, but September 7th, the title of the blog is t- uh, 2020 Velvet Buck Review. And if it's okay with you, Don, I'm just going to read the paragraph that you wrote about buck number three, which we now call the Joey Buck, um, since it's not in the blog and we can talk about him now. Is that okay with you? That'd be perfect. All right, so buck number three, they got two trail camera pictures of him. One of them is going away. You can see all the trash going off the backside. The other one is from the front looking at the camera. You said, this old warrior is one that I know quite a bit about, but he never, but I have never hunted him, even though he's now at least seven years old. So that, that's going to be a key point through the story is you've never actually gone after and hunted this buck, but we know he's at least seven. You continue to say, I will probably put in a few hunts for this old buck this season as he has his best rack ever and is one of the better bucks I have in terms of age plus score. So I think the point you're making there is is he's he's the, one of the older bucks and one of the bigger racks. Um, obviously, right. we now know that Mel had the biggest rack, but, um, but age to uh, age to score ratio, he was one of your targets. 
I have known about this buck for some time and have had this his photo for at least or for the last three summers. This old bruiser did not give me a good quality photo this summer, but I did manage to get him on camera a few times at various angles, which allowed me the opportunity to carefully study his rack. His 5x5 frame has extra tines, including a flyer off the back of each G2. I am confident he will score over 170 and maybe nudge 180. We're going to hear a little bit more about his score here later. Of all the bucks I will be hunting this season, this is key, folks, this buck will be one of the toughest for me to kill due to the area he lives in and the limited access I have to properties within his home range. So a lot of the questions that came up was, was he on the home farm? No. So uh, you can go reference this blog that Don wrote on Higgins Outdoors um, on September 7th, but... Don, I want you to start from the beginning and kind of explain to everybody um, the story behind this buck name um, and um, how he got his name, why was he so hard to hunt, and uh, let's walk through this, okay? Okay. Well, probably the best way to start is, you know, I'm blessed to have some very good friends um, that are outdoorsmen. Uh, a lot of them have a little bit of deer hunting history, but they don't focus on deer. Or they're not as near as serious as I am, or maybe they no longer deer hunt. But these friends are basically my eyes and ears uh, out in the, the rest of the world. And if they catch wind of or, or see a giant buck, the, they, they tell me and they tell me only. They, they, they're just such good friends that uh, they know you know, what it means to me to chase these special critters that they'll tell me about it. And they really help me find some of my target bucks. Well, this particular buck, um, it was three years ago, my good friend, Joe Johnson, who's probably the best shed antler hunter I've ever met. He walks miles and miles and miles all spring, uh, looking for shed antlers. He typically finds, you know, around 50 or so shed antlers each spring. And he puts on a lot of miles doing it. Well, about three years ago, I think it was, uh, actually it'll be four years this coming um, spring, but uh, say three and a half years ago in the spring, um, Joe found a set of shed antlers and he showed me and I'm like, you know, that buck's got a lot of potential. And he looks like he's already four years old. And uh, I, I knew exactly where Joe found those sheds. And then I heard a rumor about some other local hunters or, or a group of local hunters that missed this same buck during gun season um, on a particular property. So I had two reference points. I had where these hunters supposedly missed him, and I had where Joe found the sheds. And, you know, he's what kind year of was this? What year was this? That would have been, oh boy, in the spring of. Sorry to interrupt 17. you, but I think that's important. Um, let's see. That would have been the spring of 17. Spring of 17 was kind of the first tip you got about this thing. Yeah, no, maybe it was 18. Um, 18, 19, 20. So that would have been the three years ago. So spring of 18. Spring of 18. So in the spring of 18, uh, Joe, and the reason I call him the Joey Buck was a lot of Joe, my friend Joe's closest friends call him Joey. So uh, I just kind of called the buck the Joey buck. But um, so, you know, Joe finds the sheds, and I hear about these hunters that missed the buck. That gives me two reference points. And I was really interested because the buck wasn't just a clean, you know, 5 by 5 or 4 by 4 or anything like that. He, he had some extra stuff going on. And, you know, a lot of times as bucks get older, they add more extra points. And I thought, you know, this buck puts a couple more years on. And he might be really special. So are you estimating so, him as a four-year-old at that point with those sheds? Right. Okay. And he may have been older, but he was at but least he's a four-year-old. He's at least a four-year-old based on the sheds that you had you had seen from your buddy. Right. Okay. So I've got the two reference points uh, from where Joe found the sheds and the guys missed it. And I, I pull up Google Earth and I, I zoom in on those those two reference points and I'm thinking – I know the buck's been here at point A, and I know he's been at point B. If I was that buck, 
you know, where would I hide? Where, where's he hiding? Where's he spending his daylight hours to survive? How did he make it to four years old? Well, and, you know, I'm always focusing on hunting pressure and doing my best to avoid it just like a big buck does. And, and I, I found a couple of different properties that had real small pieces of cover. And the, the, the cover was so small that I figured most people are, are going to, most hunters are going to ignore these places. And that's what I look for most of the time on, on these bucks. But so I, I zoomed in on a couple of these properties and I looked up uh, who owned them. And I'm thinking, I, I, then I start questioning people from that area. Hey, do you know so-and-so? Do you know this person? I was looking for some insight to help me get permission to hunt these properties. And I was told, everybody I talked to told me, neither one of them people is going to give you permission to hunt. They, they just won't. They just, they don't allow hunting. They're not going to let you hunt. And boy, that, that kind of, I, I stewed on that for about a month. And I thought to myself, you know what? They can turn me down. That's fine. And then I can move on and look for another buck. But I at least need to knock on these people's door. And so one afternoon I get in my truck and I go, I, you know, I don't ask for permission over the phone. I'm going to look, people are going to look me in the eye when they turn me down. And I knocked on the first door. And boy, it led to about an hour conversation with this man and his wife. And when I left there, it was like I had not only had permission, but I felt like I had new friends. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm in the game now. I got permission. And well, I might as well. And the second stop was the one I had people told me that I had the least chance of, of ever getting on that one. So I stopped there and uh, it was owned by a, a person, uh, an elderly person. And, uh, I asked him, you know, I t told him who I was and everything. And I said, uh, you know, I'd like to, to bow hunt on your property if you don't care. No, I don't see no problem with that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fine. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. I've spent a month worrying about getting hunting permission for this buck. And I stop in one afternoon at the first two houses and I get permission. So you didn't have, you didn't have a friend prime the pump for you on this. I mean, these are true cold calls. They didn't know you, you hadn't. You, you didn't name drop another <laughs> I'm such and such friend of such and such uh, type thing. You just went and struck up a conversation with both of them. Well, I, I didn't have a, a relationship of any sort with either one. Very cool. I think they both probably recognized my name from the area, but um, there, there was no prior relationship. You gotcha. know? Um, okay. So anyway. So you got you two know, spots now. Yep. But you got to remember, both these spots are tiny spots. I mean, most deer hunters are not even going to focus on them. So, uh, you know, this was getting probably you know, late spring or so uh, when I get permission. And uh, oh, summer rolls around, I decide it's time to go put up trail cameras. So I, I go put trail cameras up on these two properties. And uh, I come back and check them a month later or so. And the first camera I hung, the day I hung it, this buck walked in front of that oh, camera geez. within about an hour of me putting that camera You're out. Kidding. Literally, the very I go check the card, the very first pictures on that card are this buck, and, and a whole series of them, you know, like about, and it's broad daylight. Um, this is the summer of 18. Probably, right. There's okay. probably like eight or ten pictures of this buck <laughs> on the very first card, the very first picture. And he had, uh, he wasn't a whole lot bigger than he was the year before. And his rack, actually, he had lost some of that non-typical stuff. And uh, so, you know, I continued to, to monitor those cameras. And and uh, he was not quite, I mean, he, he's the buck that showed potential, but he wasn't really quite what I was looking for. So I didn't hunt him at all in the fall of 18. Which, um, which we were in fall of 18, you were estimating him to be at least five. If his, right. if his sheds were uh, from 17 that you your buddy had, then you're think, thinking he was at least four. So an 18 wasn't quite what you wanted as at least a five-year-old. Right. Okay. So the next summer, 19, you know, well, actually, by this point, I had done some scouting in the area, you know, where I had the cameras, and 
was becoming pretty familiar with the properties. I was, I had uh, three potential stand sites on the two properties, and one stand on one property, two on the other. And I got those stand sites ready just in the hopes that this buck um, would grow into a shooter. Um, when you're hunting these small patches, you just don't go in and, and put up the stand during season or right before season. You get your stuff ready well in advance. And in this case, it turns out I had the stands up two years before I ever hunted them. But uh, so the spring of 19, I put those those stands up. Summer of 19, uh, I get the buck's picture again. And uh, that that fall... I had some, some other target bucks and he was, I, I put it on the list that, that fall. Um, so that's the year that the fork tine buck was on my home property. Right. Um, I shot him on yeah, November he a, 3rd. He was a seven year old. Right. Uh, six year old. He was a six year old. Six year yeah. old. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I wanted to kill that buck. Um, he was probably my number one hit list buck. So I didn't get him killed until November 3rd. And so then I'm left with one Illinois buck tag and I decide that, uh, there was about three or four different bucks that were all around the 170 mark. And I decided that I was going to jump around and I was going to hunt those. Actually, there was three, three different bucks. I was going to jump around on the three properties where these bucks uh, were. And, uh, and the first one that gave me a shot, I was going to kill. Well, the very next day on the very next hunt i I shot i filled my my tag with one of those other bucks so the joey buck never even got hunted again um which leads us to this year um 2020 right Uh, i i got his pictures in the sun in the summer like i uh i showed there um you know on that blog post um i had mel to hunt so um you know, Mel was my number one target buck. I wanted to get him killed. Well, I, I finally got him killed on October 30th, and I'm left with my uh, second tag. And there was a couple of different uh, bucks I was targeting that are in that blog post that you referenced. Um, the one buck normally would show up on my farm about mid-October, and he never did show up this year. Um I got his picture in velvet. Um, a neighbor of mine has got, has seen him numerous times, uh, and got his picture this fall. Um, the buck, instead of coming to my place when the bachelor group broke up, that buck went the opposite direction. And he's about three miles from my place right now. So he's not an option which, right now. Yeah. And I had no place to hunt over there and, and due to respect for my neighbors and such uh, that are deer hunters too. I just, I, I kind of stay away from that area and let them have it. It's closer to their homes and they, they show me the same respect. So I, that buck kind of got scratched off the list and, and maybe he'll show up back here one day. Maybe he won't, but so anyway, that left me the Joey buck. And, uh, I think most of the listeners realized that I was fighting COVID early in November and we had that week of hot weather and, and I really didn't even, the three stands, uh, that I had set for the Joey buck, had not even been hunted until about till last week. So last week, uh, we got a south wind. One of those stands required a south wind, and I went in and hunted one of those stands one morning, and that was my first hunt ever for the Joey Buck. Um, I've seen a three-and-a-half-year-old eight-point that, that I passed, but, uh, you know, that was it on that hunt. And uh, I, I was really more intrigued with the other property. Um, at first, I, when I first started chasing this buck or – you know, tracking him. Uh, I thought the property uh, with the one stand that required the south wind, I thought that was going to be the property where I took him. But the more I got to know this buck, I decided that that seemed to be on the edge of his range. He didn't visit that property near as often as he did the other one. So uh, I really wanted to hunt that that property, but I I needed, uh, well, an easterly wind. Southeast would have been ideal, and uh, that's what we had this morning. And as I looked at the at the weather um, a couple of days ago and how things were setting up, it was just like I got to be in that stand Tuesday morning if things play out like it looks like they're going to. And 
and I've actually got my son-in-law here hunting with me. And I told him, you know, he came uh, Sunday night, um, and we hunted yesterday. And I told him that Tuesday morning, you're going to be on your own because I've got a spot. I, I got to stand. I've got to hunt Tuesday morning. And uh, so I go in this morning, and you know, it's rained all night long here. I get out of my truck; it's still raining, and uh, I decided I'm I'm going to leave my um, video camera in the truck. And the reason for that is because of the rain, but also because this stand uh, was in some really thick brush, and I, I had one hole where this buck was going to come through and I was going to get a shot. There wouldn't even been time to get him in frame and then shoot. Right. I I wouldn't have have time time to mess with a camera. It was going to happen quick. So, and I also, I I did something on this hunt that I have not done in, I'm telling you a decade or more in order to get that buck to stop in that one hole. When I went to my stand, I took a bottle of, of Smokey's deer scent that I had. And I, I only usually use that, use a scent on, you know, the, the ropes and the mock scrape for pictures. But I knew I had to get that buck to stop in that one little opening in the brush. So I took a whole bottle of Smokey's and I just poured it on tree branches <laughs> all over in that, that little spot. <laughs> and then I went back and got my stand. And, you know, I didn't hang my bow up or nothing because I knew it, when it happens, it's going to happen fast. I, my bow was laid across you my lap. You weren't texting anybody and watching Facebook nope. this morning then? Absolutely not. My my phone was in my shirt pocket, zipped up inside my coat. I had my bow in my lap. My hand was on the grip and my other hand was on my release and I'm waiting for action. And I, I, with the wind direction, I know which direction this buck is going, probably going to come from and how it's going to go down and everything. And I get in this stand and it's, it's just starting to break daylight and stuff. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting there and I look up and I hadn't been there. I'm, I hadn't been in the stand 15, 20 minutes. And I look up and here comes a buck. I could just barely see him through the brush. And I, I still, I couldn't tell what buck it was because the brush was too thick. And then I seen those fork g2s and i'm like that's it that's him and and luckily i seen him coming so when he hit that opening my bow is already and actually when he hit that opening i was at full draw he oh, stepped okay. in there and i'm already at full draw gotcha but uh you know i had my bow up my my string on the release and here he's coming and i can just catch glimpses of him in the brush and i know it's him he steps into that opening and he stops he smells that that smokies that i poured out and he stops. And this buck was on a pretty good trot through the brush. He was covering some ground. And uh, he, he stopped right in that opening, and I, I just cut loose, and then I made a perfect shot. And, and How far, uh, he didn't how far away was he? Um, Under 20 yards. I'm going to say probably <laughs> about 15 yards. Wow. And, and it was a stand that was the, – the brush was so thick, my stand was maybe – maybe 10 feet off the ground, probably between eight and 10 feet off the ground. <laughs> and I mean, I couldn't have scripted that thing any better. So here's the crazy thing about it. I had permission on this property for two years and I waited two full years for my first hunt. And I shoot this buck 15 minutes into that first hunt. Now people are going to say that's luck and I'll agree. There's a lot of luck involved, but what what most people are going to miss is, is the two years of preparation that went into that hunt, and you know, learning that buck, um, getting his picture at several locations, and and putting the pieces together, and knowing how he's going to come through that property when he does. So it, it sounds really simple. First hunt, fifteen minutes in, boom, he's dead. But, There's a lot of work that went into that, though. Yeah, two years of preparation to make that 15-minute hunt happen. Unreal. So I want to ask yeah. I want to ask a couple questions if that's kind of the the end the book end of kind of the story, if that's all right. If there's more to the story then please go ahead, but I got a couple questions to go back and and ask you about the whole situation. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So tell tell the listeners and me uh, I I know part of this but elaborate a little bit on this statement 
Um, I know there's small tracts of land, but the statement that you made in your blog in September that said this buck will be one of the toughest for me to kill. Go into a little bit more detail outside of um, the size and small properties that you have. What was this buck doing? Because it sounds a lot like Trump, and that's what I always compared this buck to. When you yep. would go spend time and you say, well, I might go hunt this buck, I'm like, oh, man, there's that buck's just not killable. Tell the listeners mm-hmm. why. Well, you know, like any mature buck, he's going to have a – he's going to range off of more than one property. That If you combine the total cover on both of these two properties – the total cover that I was hunting in, you're talking less than five acres, and that's for both of them. Unreal. And so I knew I had to have my ducks in a row. I knew I had to have my stand up way ahead of time. Um, and the the other thing, the I waited for a specific time. You know, I didn't when the rut heated up. I didn't go in there. What I waited for was gun season to be over because I knew the gun hunters were going to be just stomping all the bigger tracks. That's a great point. So you you thought that this buck was going to go to a place that there was nobody, which set it up for you. So post shotgun, post shotgun would be the ideal, ideal time because of hunting pressure. And I wanted to do it right after gun season. I didn't want time for things to calm back down. I mean, I would have loved to have been in there Monday morning instead of Tuesday, but the wind just wasn't right. So, uh, Tuesday morning, everything lined up. The gun season just happened. The wind was perfect. It rained all night long. The rain stopped right at daylight, like, just like it was forecast. And I'm like, it's kind of uncanny. I was texting a a friend of mine earlier and he says, there's more to this than, than what you're telling me. And I said, well, I've kind of developed a knack for knowing for, first of all, spotting a, a location where a big buck is likely to be. And then if I find that, in fact, there is one there, there, I've kind of developed a knack for knowing when, how, and, you know, the timing and and the specific uh, stand location within the area. But I think that's a lot of understanding the buck and also your reconnaissance that you do. Absolutely. And how much ground you're covering with trail cameras because you're you're trying to find where that core range is. So, So, like... Trump, um, and in comparison to Smokey and Mel, this buck was not on a manicured property that you manage. He he was not in um, you know organized structure bedding that you put there for him. He wasn't coming to a food plot that you planted. This is as real world as anybody could ever be, as far as the habitat that you kind of dove into when the conditions were right thinking that you had a shot, small shot, because, you know, we, we've both talked about how uh, tough this buck would be to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this wasn't, this is this is you adapting to the surroundings that the buck was in. Well, and to even take that a little bit further, this area is heavily hunted, but it's also real close to a lot of public land. So, you know, it's a heavily pressured area. It gets hammered, especially during gun season, but that public land gets hunted hard all the time. So I I don't think people fully recognize how small a piece that a mature buck will call his home, and especially when the heat's on. When that gun pressure, you know, is there and, and people are stomping around through the woods, even bow pressure, you know, guys – scouting and hanging stands and checking cameras and everybody getting ready for the season it does not take a very big patch of brush at all to hold a giant but i think i think i think you better have your ducks in a row right i think what some self-proclaimed experts on on social media and the internet do though is they have a specific style of hunting that they rely on and Mm -hmm. they live and die with that and and what's impressive about this buck to me, and was the same kind of story as as uh, Trump, is you know people say, oh, it must be nice to own hundreds of acres that you can manicure and manage. 
This was from the very beginning, you stopping and investing the time to develop a relationship with the landowner, it being a very small track of ground that you didn't go plant food plots on. You weren't shooting, uh, hunting out of a, you know, raised elevated blind. Um, you know, this is, this is you adapting your style of hunting to where that deer felt secure and, and was going to be, but didn't push it until the conditions were right. And that, that's, what's crazy about this. Well, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, Terry, you and I on the podcast talking about managing land because we both manage properties that we own and people get the idea that we only hunt that way. And, and that's not the case at all. I even had uh, another consultant telling people that, uh, I kill all my bucks because I got a great farm and, and then that's the reason behind it. But the fact of the matter is my top five bucks have come. Three of my top five bucks have not come from my property. Three of my top five bucks probably were just land. I, I got permission just by knocking on doors and those three bucks never, to my knowledge, I don't know where they would ever fed in a food plot. I don't think there was a food plot within their range to my knowledge. So three of my top five are actually real world bucks, if you want want to say. Well, I think all of them are real world bucks. I don't want I don't want people to understand that as you know you're hunting in a in in some type of environment that that isn't real. But you've spent mm-hmm. thirty years manicuring that property and learning from things that didn't work and adapting and keep making it better and better and better. And I think people are going to see part of that story unfold in the video of Mel. But at the same time, there's not many hunters out there that that are able to adapt and identify a buck and then adapt the way they're hunting. Think about think about the different styles of stuff that you've documented on social media this year. You you've posted a picture um, of being on the downwind side of bedding area. Uh, when you were looking, I, I believe it was the oak tree on the, I got to think for a second. It'd been the oak tree on the west side of the woods at your place. How high is that stand? 28 feet, maybe? Yeah, it's okay. over 20. For you, sure. <laughs> you've showed pictures of you being inside of 360 hunting blinds. You've showed, uh, you know, different, this, this buck you're setting 10 feet off the ground on a little bitty patch of thicket um, in what can be right in the middle of heavy traffic area. Um, There's a lot to be said that just because you don't have the 120 acres doesn't mean that you can't do it. The key is, is that, you know, you have to be able to identify and track and, and put in the reconnaissance to, to try to figure out where these core ranges are and then look for opportunities of holes in that. That that's really what you did with Trump and the Joey Buck. Well, and you know something that just kind of dawned on me the other day. And uh, I was in the woods with uh, I forget who I was even with. I've been with so many people this fall. Somebody said something about stand location, and I, I said, uh, you know, when I hang a stand. I know that my target buck has already walked past that tree, not in that woods. I know he's walked past that tree. That's an interesting, and, you need to write a blog on that. that yeah, that's a, right. that's a really interesting statement. I've never heard you say that. Well, it just actually dawned on me in the last few days that, and I, I didn't even realize I, I was doing it subconsciously when I hang my stands. It's like, I, I go in with the trail cameras first. And the reason for it, Terry, is on my place, you know, it's not that big, but there's a lot of bucks here, <laughs> but different bucks will travel through my place differently. Right. And I'll get one buck's picture here in one location a lot, and another buck's picture almost never, and then 100 yards away, it's vice versa. Sure. So when you start hunting individual bucks, you got to be where that individual buck travels. And I don't want to hang my stand in a tree because a lot of deer walk past that tree. I'm going to hang my stand in that tree because I know the buck I'm after has walked past that tree in the past and is likely to again. Unreal. Yeah. So walk us through your day today. So you said that, uh, <laughs> you, you were, uh, 
you're in the stand maybe 15 minutes. I guess you got to the stand a little late then. I did. I was uh, trying to wait on that rain to, to stop. I didn't want to just get soaked in the dark before the sun ever came up, before so it ever got shoot light. Slipped in late, put your smokies out, got up in the stand, and so you shot him early. Um, yep. Uh, Wes and I got the text that, that he was down, and you know, like I said, I don't know why I even get surprised anymore. But um, So uh, um, I guess you got him out with your four-wheeler, didn't you? Did you yeah. Have, did you have I, everything there? Or did you go back home? I did. Yeah, I uh, I rode in on the ATV uh, m- more to basically just to be brutally honest to throw off the local traffic. <laughs> right. You know, I I park my truck miles away and uh, get on the, either my quiet cat bike or the four wheeler, and in the dark with my lights off, uh, I can cover five miles in a few minutes. And everybody's thinking I'm hunting one property, and I'm not even close to there. Well, and that's and what I like. People have to people have to understand, and this is just being real. If somebody sees your truck parked in an area, they know that there's a sh- <laughs> a whopper in there. So you're you're trying to not give away yep. some of that information, and that's just being brutally honest with with how things are. Right. So. So you uh, you got him with the four wheeler, then got him out, um, and then all of the work begins. Um, I'm I'm guessing you got some really good pictures. Our buddy came over and took some pictures for you. Well, the first thing I did was uh, I drove over to my friend Joey Johnson to show him the joy. Oh bus. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he pull <laughs> he the sheds his, out? He did. He pulled the shed antlers out, and then um, he came over to my house. We got some pictures with him and me and the buck and, and the sheds. And then he drove with me, uh, you know, we went to Brian Teets, uh, the processor and, uh, you know, caped him out there. Um, then I took the head to, to Eric Kibler, my taxidermist and spent the day, you know, the interesting thing was, and Joe went with me, uh, spent most of the day with me riding around to these different places and taking care of this deer. Um, we seen three different box locked down with hot does and wide open fields uh today um so so the lockdown phase really is still there now the buck i shot he was covering some ground he was looking for a doe but we've seen three bucks locked down still so you know like we talked about this lockdown phase is gonna slowly and it's not like a a light flip switches and or a, a light switch flips and uh you know, the lockdown's over and all of a sudden bucks are running crazy. It's a gradual transition from one phase to the next. But then, then I, when I got home, I, I did put the tape to the buck and he was a little better than what I thought. Yeah. Okay. So are you going to, you going to divulge that? <laughs> yeah. I, I came up with 185 and <laughs> uh, seven eighths. So almost 186. All right. So where does that rank him as in, in, your uh i hate the word statement of work but uh out of the bucks that you've shot where does that rank him at uh he would be number five okay so you've now shot your number one and your number five buck in 2020 yeah so i think that that gets your uh top five average to what uh my top five bucks now average uh, two oh four and some <laughs> change. Unreal. But uh, you know the the crazy thing about it in in 2017, I shot Smokey and Trump, and those two combined antler scores was uh, four hundred and uh, one eighth inch. So they, they just barely topped four hundred inches total right. for the two racks. The two I shot this year. They total four hundred and six inches, and uh, <laughs> some eight. So, two of the last four years, my two Illinois buck tags have uh, four, tagged bucks at four hundred inches of antler. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, I've been extremely blessed. I'm telling you, the way I went in, and I, I've been picturing how this hunt was going to go down for the past couple of days with the the weather pattern and and the wind. And I really was expecting to be sitting there on that stand on high alert with that bow in my lap and my hand on the grip. 
Um, I was going to sit till about 10 o'clock or so. And I figured if he wasn't by by then, he wasn't coming by. And I'm telling you, I'd been there 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the most. And I look up and here he comes. It's like God scripted this thing and it's playing out right in front of my eyes. And, and then the, to make the shot and watch him go down. And it was, it was a pretty special morning for sure. Well, and having having your buddy be there, um, um, I think you said Kyle, our buddy Kyle Harmon from Team Radical came over and took the the pictures for you. Is that right? Well, I actually went to Kyle's house okay. and we unloaded the bucket at his house and took the pictures gotcha. there. So, so having um, uh, your friend there with you for the pictures, did you get some with him in the buck? Yeah, we oh, did. That's that's cool. Yep. Because I know you guys have been well, friends for a long time. You know, I've said uh, I, I chase these deer like nobody. I, I mean, it's my life to chase these big deer. But the best thing that deer hunting has ever done for me is the the friendships I've made, you know, with fellow deer hunters. And and I seriously want just want to help people. I think uh, you know people have different motives, and if I can share something that helps somebody else be successful and their dream comes true, I I know the the feeling of satisfaction and joy when it all comes together and you shoot a giant buck. And I, I wish every deer hunter could feel that. And if I can share something, some information to help it happen for them, then that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. Well, and the cool thing about Joe is, 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 you know, there's two ways to react to when you shooting this buck, he could have been upset that, you know, he wasn't able to do it, but I know Joe and, how he was genuinely happy for you and wanting to be part of it. That that was, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, having that, that small group of friends, I mean, I could count them on, on one hand, there's, there's like four or five guys that I, when they tell me they seen a good one, I know they seen a good one. It's not 150 inch deer. They're calling me about. And, uh, having like five, five extra guys, you know, going about their daily lives, ears open listening to things they hear but also seeing things and uh there's been more than one of one buck i've shot that's i learned about the buck from from somebody else and and, by by a friend yeah in fact i've already got my eye on one for next year um a very special public land buck and uh that that buck was the whole I would have never known about the buck. It wouldn't have been for a friend telling me about it. So okay. he told me about it. I slipped in, hung some cameras, and lo and behold, yeah, he's a good one. So if he survives, which is, it's a long wait till season's over, but if he survives and still alive next season, I've got a public land giant chase. But you've already started setting the stage for that buck. You've already started Absolutely. putting I the got plan. You. So that's that's the other that's the other takeaway from the story of Joey, is that. It's not a matter of, hey, get intel and go in in this run and gun. There, there's a place for that. I get it. And there's guys that are successful with that. But we've learned one thing over the last few years is to consistently do it, there's something a little bit different with the way you do it. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. The hours I put into prep work far, far, far out they exceed the number of hours I spend hunting. Right. And – so, you know, we, we joke around and we tease about the love swing, you know, saddle hunters and this run and gun style. I'm happy for you if that works. But um, I, I don't know of many people that are as consistent with the, the type of caliber that deer that you're finding and being able to uh, put in the back of your pickup truck um, that are doing that. These animals are so finicky when it comes to pressure that that, that has to start unfolding well in advance. And, and you can, it's not to say somebody can't kill just a giant, um, by going in and hunting. Um, that's not what I'm saying. Um, and if you, you know, there's all different kind of situations that you're out of state hunter going in, you have limited time. That's, that's all a factor. I get it. Um, but to consistently do it, the time and effort that you put into prep work is just simply amazing. And, and that's what I think sets your consistency apart from being able to do this. And, and because of that, I still should not be surprised when I get that text <laughs> with 
this massive, huge, non-typical. Because I've seen the trail camera pictures of this deer, Don. They did not do this buck justice. No. Um, and even the pictures that Kyle took, there's just no way to turn that rack to see all the time. You're, every way you turn it, you're going to lose some of them in the view. And uh, the pictures don't, I don't think they make him look like a 185-inch deer, but I, I promise you he is. Um, but, you know, Terry, on your remark about preparation and such, I made a comment on social media about a year ago that I, I got, and I almost never remove a post, but I just got roasted so hard by everybody that I had to take it down. And and it wasn't a derogatory statement at all i just simply said i know a lot of deer hunters that hunt harder than i do but i don't know a single one that puts more hours into prep than i do and and that's the truth and i'm i'm not speaking down to anyone but if you want to do something if you want to kill big bucks on a consistent basis i mean there's a lot of time that goes into it and i'm not talking time sitting in a tree I'm talking about the prep work to make sure you're in the right tree at the right time, time after time after time. Uh, it's it it speaks to what society is right now that someone would even question that statement. I mean, it's we've even talked about it saying it a different way on this podcast before. Is even at my stage in the journey, you know, your your top five bucks are now over two hundred. Mine are at one sixty. My top five average, but. Mm-hmm. But I'm, uh, when I was on, let me back up for a second. When I was on Whitetail Cribs and we went over to the garage and I have six deer mounted over there. They were early when I started hunting and, you know, anywhere from between 120 to 135 inch deer over there. Great deer for when I was starting. But those Mm -hmm. six deer took longer for me to get than the 14 deer that are all five and a half or four and a half years or older here in my house. Mm-hmm. And and the the only thing that I can attribute it to that is I started hunting a lot less and preparing more and only yep. hunting when the conditions were right. And I think that mm-hmm. just that's one of the things that I've taken away from you is you've you know, and and, and you know, you're my Al Foster. You know, we've never really <laughs> talked about this, but you know, Al was Al was that for you. And, and you, you speak openly about your relationship with Al and, and how you learn a lot from him and things just started clicking. And I by no means am to that point yet. But the, the biggest takeaway I have from you is I, I know I can't spend the time preparing. You know, I have, I have other obligations with uh, my job and everything. But I do know that I work and prepare as much as I can and I only hunt when the conditions are right. And since I've stopped hunting when conditions were wrong, I've actually started hunting less. I'm seeing more deer and being more successful. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that speaks volumes of what you've been able to do, especially this run for the last, um, what, since 2017. Is that right? That's when I shot Smokey and Trump. Um, so now I'm glad that you brought up Al Foster. You know, I talk about relationships and, and how they're more important than the deer are. And, and Al and I have been friends for about 40 years now. Um, he's actually got a part, as do you, Terry, in the Mel video that's going to be released Thanksgiving uh, morning. And I hope all the listeners will take the time to go to the YouTube channel and watch the story of Mel because not only are you going to see a, a giant buck get shot, but I think you're going to you're going to see a whole lot more. You're going to probably see a different side of me than, than you get on the podcast and see what's important. You didn't, you did not rant about expandable broadheads in the video. I got to watch it for the first time (laughs) and you didn't, you didn't mention that. We didn't talk about Obama and Hillary. We, uh, you know, um, I agree. I think people, people get to see a small window of who Don really is. And unfortunately the thing about social media is that it, it creates a opportunity for people to be, um, to jump to a conclusion of how they perceive that people are based on a very, you know, at most a couple sentence post, um, 
and and that's good and bad. It, it helps keep communication and for dialogue to go and, you know, the network to get bigger and reach more people. But it also creates an opportunity for people not to quite see who you really are. And I thought uh, Steve Shields, the video producer, did a very good job at uh, telling that story just as much as he did the story of Mel um, as Mel grew up year after year after year with you documenting him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve did a fantastic job, and um, now I'm I'm pretty proud of that video. There's a couple of times it almost brought tears to my eyes when when uh, I heard what other people had to say uh, about me. So yeah, I uh, uh, people that I think a lot of. Steve was actually at my work today. Um, so Steve does work for Don, but my day job, I actually hire Steve to do work for our company and he was on site the last two days. And I, I think I picked on Don a little bit, um, in the pod, last podcast Sunday night that I hadn't even gotten to see the footage of Mel being shot. And, uh, so when Steve got there, uh, I, I, I got my schedule mixed up. I wasn't, I don't think I knew he was coming in, but I saw, I can see from my office, I could see him walk in with his crew, with his gear and everything. So I think the first thing I did when I saw Steve is I texted Don and said, do you care if I watch it? <laughs> yeah. Cause I wanted your permission before, you know, I, I saw it and he said, yeah, please do. And you know, see if you see anything you want to change or see anything that needs to be changed. And, and the, I, I took Steve's phone and went into a conference room and watched it. And I mean, it was, I walked out and Steve was of course busy taking photos of what he was there to. So I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt him. And I think, I think the only words I said to him as I walked by and handed him his phone, as I said, that was pretty emotional. And, but it, but it comes from a standpoint and, um, I know people like me and Al Foster get a little protective of you. It's not like we're your big brother, but we get a little overly protective because we know that people attack you or throw, you know, kind of some hate mail and bad comments at you, and they have no idea who the real Don Higgins is. And to see part of that story unfold for people um, embedded with a, just a world-class whitetail um, um being harvested was was really really special so i'm i'm excited for people to see that yeah i am too and uh, i suppose there'll probably be some haters throw some comments out but i ain't even gonna acknowledge it you know that um i'm just blessed beyond belief with the friends i have that i've made through deer hunting you know i I hope every one of them gets to kill a world-class buck at some point and and uh, know that feeling and if i can help them along the way that's great well um the story of joey is over um and uh, i asked you i don't know which we've talked several times on the phone today and i think it was i think it was when i left work today and you were just getting back home or something and i asked you i said is it bittersweet now because you know now 2020 is basically over unless you end up getting on an out-of-state buck and um, I know that there's a feeling of uh, you know kind of relief but also a little bit of okay now it's starting it's not it's not really bittersweet it's let's start working for next year you're already you're already starting to plan that so uh, you got some more management stuff that you want to do on your property with some bucks taken and then you're going to start putting that plan together for the bucks for next year so it never ends right yeah I mean I've already got bucks in mind for next year to chase and um it's going to be a different season next year because i don't think i've got a single buck on my farm to shoot next year um every buck i shoot is i'm gonna to have to go out and find him and um i mean i've already found a, a couple for sure but uh they've got to survive you know it's hunting season's not over yet it's a long way till next october so right. something could happen to the bucks that, that i've got my eye on and i'm i'm left uh you know, trying to find something next summer in velvet and it's going to be a challenge next year for sure. I I know I'll never match what I did this year, but that's fine. Each buck is its own story. And, um, I kind of like these bucks that are not on my farm. When, when a buck shows up on my farm, 
if I want to kill him, I'll kill him. There's, there's just no two ways about it. When you first started saying that, I, I really cringed. But at the same time, now that I've personally hunted your property, as long as that buck st- is, is there frequently, I agree with you. Um, that's yeah. What, that's what 30 years of management and setting up things certain ways does for you. Yeah, the, the resident bucks on my place, give me 30 days and I can, I can kill them. Right. And so, I mean, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge you know that you can reach. It's like, but when you go out on, on a situation like this Joey buck and you've got, you're very limited on what you can do as far as, uh, you know, I can't take a chainsaw into somebody's place and, and create bedding cover and I can't take my tractor over and plant a food plot and it's basically pretty much hang tree stands and uh when you can figure them out like that there's a there's a great deal of satisfaction and and also when you get one out of a heavily hunted area and and you know that you know i know there's other guys that were after this buck um they've got his trail camera picture in fact multiple people and uh if they would have got him i'd have been absolutely happy for him i would have congratulated him no doubt about it but when you know that buck is being pursued on every property, pretty much that he runs probably every property that he's lived his life on, he's being hunted. Um, these two little places that I got permission, he wasn't hunted for a while, but somebody came along and figured out that that's a spot for a good buck to live. And, and it cost him his life, but well, and the other thing, the other spin on that is, is when you're doing this style of hunting, you can't afford to slip up one time. Exactly. So, so being patient, being disciplined and, and doing it only when there's a chance it's going to happen, like you said, and you know, not going in there with your cell phone, you had one shot of basically being able to do this. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. booger that deer up and on that small track of ground and it's going to be tough. So I'll never see him again. Right. I mean, this is another, you know, you compare him to Trump, and I did. That's kind of ironic because that's exactly what I compared him to. Both Trump and the Joey Buck, the first time I seen him was the time I shot him. I had never laid eyes on either one of them bucks before. Yeah. Never seen him on the hoof. Nope, never. I had had lots of uh, pictures of both of them, but I had never laid eyes on them until I drew my bow back and shot him. So. Well, fantastic, buddy. I'm I'm just so happy for you. Um, it, it, nobody works harder than you. Um, and uh, it's like I said in the podcast the other day, if somebody wants to send the hate mail, just send them my way. I'll, I'll take care of that unless you focus on uh, responding to all the, the thousands of people that have reached out and said congratulations. You got a whole lot more, more people in your corner uh, taken up for you than you do the haters. And, uh, there's a lot of us out here that are, that are really happy for you. Cause we know what kind of work you put in. Well, I really appreciate that Terry from you and from everyone else. Uh, you know, when I posted that teaser photo this morning, um, I had Joe in the truck with me and I said, watch my phone light up now. And it was just boom, 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 boom. People liking, you know, the photo or whatever, and you get the notification and and then the text messages start coming in, so <laughs> a bit overwhelming, but I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just from this point on I'm gonna kind of shut up, and I'm gonna <laughs> let you do your whatever you want to say. This is a special episode of Chasing Giants, so it doesn't follow the normal format. But to close this out, I want you to just say whatever's on your heart about uh about your hunting season this buck whatever you want to talk about and then uh uh, thank the sponsors of the people that were involved in this so uh we appreciate everybody uh tuning in for this special episode um i just i texted don this idea this morning and i said i think this is worthy of us getting on a podcast tonight and the other thing that does is um that lets us focus on the video of mel on sunday which i hope everybody will watch on uh thanksgiving day so don the floor is yours to take us out for the for this episode well terry you you hit it the, the mel video i think uh i think the mel video does a fantastic job of portraying me um i think the hunting industry has some great people in it. 
Um, but I, I think I'm a little different and maybe a lot different than anybody in the hunting industry. I, I do mean anybody. I don't think there's anybody that you can compare me to in the hunting industry. And I don't say that to, to, to mean that I'm better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody. God didn't make me any better than anyone listening to this, anyone in the hunting industry, anyone on this earth. Um, but he did make me different. And I think I would just really like for all the listeners <clears throat> to watch that Mel video that comes out on Thanksgiving because I think it gives you a real insight into who I am. And I genuinely want to help people. Um, sure, I make my living through consulting and uh, my master course and selling my books and things like that. But my, my real passion is, is helping other deer hunters. And I think that Mel video it just captures it so well. Steve did such a great job on it. And I, I just hope everyone will take the time to watch it and and share it with other deer hunters, if you would. Uh, I think uh, the commercialization of, of the hunting industry is, is sad. I think it's led to some, some bad things, uh, some bad products, as I discussed in the last podcast, but also some bad attitudes that, that chase for bigger antlers. And, and here I am, a guy that, that just loves to chase the biggest bucks he can find, but at the same time, I, I try to stay grounded um, I, I realize how blessed I am to, to not only be able to hunt and chase these special critters, but also to make my living doing it. Um, I, I really appreciate the people that tune into the podcast, um, my social media friends, uh, people that read my articles, that come to seminars or whatever. Um, you know, deer hunting is my passion. But deer hunting is not my purpose. Um, my purpose is reaching lost deer hunters. And uh, I, I try to lead by example. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. I just uh, appreciate everyone. And as we close, I want to thank all our sponsors. Um, Biofarm.com, uh, 360 Hunting Blinds, Quiet Cat Bikes, Matthews Archery, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, uh, new one, Vengeance Camo. Be looking for Vengeance Camo coming out. And uh, real world wildlife products. Um, you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Look forward to the next podcast uh, on Sunday evening. Um, thank you, everyone.